Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then move my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Today on In a Mississippi Minute is a cool one for sure. A Mississippi born and raised, walking, breathing, guitar playing, among every other instrument with strings, singing songwriting machine that continues to leave his talented mark on music history. And besides all this passion for the stage and entertaining folks, he always sports, well, he also sports the largest collection of country memorabilia in the world, accumulating 20,000 pieces in his lifetime. It's all sitting in his den, I'm sure, but we're going to figure out where he keeps it. He's set to return back home to Philadelphia, Mississippi, where he will build a tribute to his legacy, a museum. I'm pretty sure a recording studio and a whole lot more. We'll get the skinny on it, but please welcome a true blessing to Mississippi art, Marty Stewart. What's up, Marty? Well, hello. That's a mighty pretty word, Steve Azar. I thought you were talking about yourself there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I look in the mirror and I run. <laughs> you gave me a buzz to live up to now. How are you, pal? I'm good. I'm good, man. What's been, uh, you're in North Carolina, right? We're in North Carolina. So we're doing three tours this summer. We're doing our superlatives tour. We've been out running with Stapleton a bunch. And uh, one of my favorite things we've done in a long time is Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman are celebrating the 50th anniversary of when they were in the birds they released the sweetheart of the radio record so wow we're getting to be the birds tonight with roger and chris and doing That's several shows at duke university so oh wow i love it all right tobacco road you're there hey uh That's right. marty before we get crazy with this because i want to make sure you don't break up we'll hang in there my producer uh do you have a uh like uh earbuds because what's happening is you're popping a little bit. Let me see something. I'm to, if I cut you back. And it and I've ran into this before. Uh, and when you put your earbuds on, it all gets better. Yeah. Do you have them? Any earbuds? I'm, I don't, but you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, what I'm worried about is you're going to pop, and, you're not, and it's going to be uh, digitally. I don't have earbuds right now. Okay. All right. Well, sort of keep, if you could just keep back like that, I think it's okay. We'll be able to figure you it out. It. Okay. All right. So, Marty, you're touring a lot still? Are you, are you you winding down or what's going on? We have about uh, probably 20-something shows left for the year. And uh, we wind up about December the 19th down in Florida. So Fantastic. I'll take a bow in the Sunshine State, and then I'm going to come back to the Pines in Mississippi and sit down and let the swelling go down. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so much it always, I always wind up back home right after Christmas because it's ground zero, and it's a great place to drop it all off and then pick up the next round. I, I love I just, it. I know. I have to come home. How much time are you spending in Mississippi versus Nashville? About 50-50 these days. Well, lately it's been more Nashville because we're just working so much on the road, just touching and going. But uh, I've probably spent more time in the state of Mississippi this year than I have since before I left in 1972. We just have so much going on in Neshoba County and within the state. Uh, it requires my presence, and so uh, that's fine with me. Are you uh, okay? So let's let's let's. I want to talk about growing up there, and but I, I want to talk about all these pieces of memorabilia because I'm trying to picture you when you had the time. I mean, were were was it ever a time you just went in the dressing room or your friends and just sort of took their stuff, or how do you accumulate <laughs> twenty thousand pieces? I gotta know. Well, it started just as a fan. I'm still a fan of. of what goes on around the music world. But it started as a fan that in Philadelphia when um, country bands would come to the Neshoba County Fair or, you know, gospel music, if you were, as you know, is big in that part of the country. Right. Quartets would come through my part of town. I'd simply, you know, buy records off their record table and ask them for their autographs and, or I'd ask musicians for a guitar pick and just, or a set list. It started that simple. And when I went to Nashville, I was so young, you know, I was 13, working with Lester Flatt at the Grand Ole Opry, but they'd throw away set lists, or they'd throw away ties, or just, you know, throw them out and say, can I have that? Because it just looked important to me. It looked like something that <laughs> shouldn't be thrown away. And it started that simply. I want to understand sort of your plans uh, to to come back home to Philadelphia and, Philadelphia and, you know, and build this. You know, it's your legacy. It's so much of your history and the people that you've shared the stage with and performed with. Uh, I mean, it's exciting for the state. And uh, and, and in what sort of the timeline? Well, I think more than anything else, when you drive across the state line of the place you and me come from, it says, Welcome to the birthplace of Miss, uh, Miss, Welcome to Mississippi, the birthplace of America's music. Right. And the good news is we can back that up. And it's not just with Ghost and, and uh, you know, Royal Roots figures, but you know, you're still out there getting it. I'm getting it. There's this, a, a new wave of people coming. And I think the strongest thing that our state has to fight on the world stage with is our creative legacy. Right. And I love it, and I'm honored to be a part of it. So as I collected all these treasures, I really had no destination in mind or no big grand plan in mind for what would happen with this stuff. But about the year 2000, um, I've, I've been running since 1972, and I took a year off, went home to the woods in Mississippi and kind of got my marching orders, and I understood when I emerged from the woods what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, and it was, you know, protect, love, defend, and further the the legacy of traditional country music as a culture, Right. and that's where I came come from. I understand all aspects of American music come from Mississippi, but that's my that's my zone. And the other part of that was I fell back in love with our state, and I wanted mm-hmm. to be a part in any way I could to help and organize, and vitalize, and uh, get get the message of Mississippi up to the world. So with that in mind, I just kind of started moving. Chancellor Kayat was the first person to give me a place to kind of start hammering my nails, and that was the University of Mississippi. And uh, the first thing I did was me and Merle Haggard, I came up with this tour called the uh, Electric Barnyard Tour. Mm-hmm. 
and we did the press conference on the lawn of William Faulkner's house at Roanoke, yeah. playing Jimmy Rogers songs. It was great. <laughs> but not long after that, B.B. King called me and asked me to come to Indianola and play uh, for him at his place. And so I went down there and uh, spent the day with B.B. And on the way out of Indianola, I went, I know what to do with my stuff. I said, the spiritual home of rock and roll in Mississippi is the Presley birthplace in Tupelo. B.B.'s place and the Blues, blues uh, right. Museum in Clarksdale, the Delta has the Blues covered. And when the Grammys came in with the Grammy Museum on the campus of Delta State, I went, man, the North State is zipped up. But the spiritual home for country music in the state of Mississippi should be at Marty Stewart's Congress of Country Music in Philadelphia. Hmm. It's a cultural center, an educational center, museum, performance space, and I went to work on it. And wow. so I think the reality of the timeline is probably three or four years before ribbon cutting. So we've got properties purchased, the boards are in place, the collections in Philadelphia now. It's a working warehouse. Lots of things are coming and going from there. But as far as officially being built and open, I think it's about a three or four year process. That's incredible. Talking to Marty Stewart, he's uh, on the road and taking the time to be in a Mississippi Minute with me. I'm Steve Azar. We're uh, we're battling through it here. It's awesome. I just love it, man. I, I tell you, Marty, just hearing you you talk like this it's just it's so important you know me moving back and moving our family it was like one of those moments where i where i sat here and i went what did i just do I mean, you know and i and, and my listeners <laughs> they've heard this and i go i just spent 20 years of building this thing and and getting the heck beat out of me and having victories and i, I was fine with that but at the same time there was enough to stay there and 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 enough relationships that everything was fine and then i just it was like it wasn't in my hands, you know. It's just like I came back, and and it, it's taken a second just to sort of get my feet, you know. But with that, we've had a great governor, you know, you and our friends, the Phils and Phil Bryant, and he's been so just – he's all in. And when you have that's a governor right. that's into the music and into the culture and the arts, then it's sort of like our responsibility to fight for him, you know. And that's Well, you hit, you, you hit it on the head. The word is responsibility, and it's a worthy mission to be a part of. When uh, the Blues Trail – you know, I, did, I couldn't see that there was a whole lot of room left for the Blues Trail because so many people have been recognized in places. And when Haley Barber was the governor, I went to Governor Barber and I said, how about we have a country music trail next? And Haley was all for it. Right. And this is when uh, Phil Bryant was the lieutenant governor. And when I went to meet with him, I saw he was wearing cowboy boots. So I went, <laughs> I've got a shot at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But <laughs> Phil was really instrumental in helping us pull the country music trail into in focus. But, you know, and, and Steve, you know as well as I do, we could keep going. There could be the rock and roll trail, the literary trail, yeah. the gospel trail. It's, there's, <laughs> it's endless. It's endless what comes from our state. But it's up, the word, as you said, is responsibility. And it's, and it's a welcome responsibility, yeah. I think, for guys like you and me to pass on that legacy, uh, to educate the next generation of people, to educate the next you know, are people in the world who have a misconception about our state. Right. We're talking to the great Marty Stewart. You're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to be right back. Doing a little thing called the hillbilly rock. Doing a little thing called the hillbilly rock. Hi, I'm Billy Kinder, host of Big Billy Kinder Outdoors. Here, the show Saturdays at 1, right here on Super Talk Mississippi turkeys, whitetail, Grenada Lake crappie, or Gulfport redfish. We enjoy it all, especially when you're in camp with us on Super Talk Mississippi. Touch me, turn me on, and burn me down. 
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because you guys can finish it, because that's how we roll. Uh, Marty understands what a Mississippi Minute. We like to sort of absorb and take it all in, and it just, and next thing you know, an hour's passed. Uh, we're, uh, Marty, I, I'm so excited about the whole Philadelphia thing, and I love that you're going back home. Man, going back home is an awesome thing. Talk to me about the commercial success when it started to happen. What was the road to that, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, you know, the deal in Nashville, the, the, the line is it all begins with a song. And my thing is, mm-hmm. well, yeah, and a songwriter. So it, it goes to the song. I was in Johnny Cash's band, and I, I thought that was my tipping off place. Um, I knew that I could stay there for the rest of my life and grow old there or it was time to get out and fly and he encouraged me and he helped me get my first record deal and what my big plan was was to come i took it behind the curtain in nashville took it to the warehouse and put a look about it and we made a deal out of those a lot of those old costumes i'd been collecting that belonged to old country stars and you know instead of and so they were cool looking rhinestone coats and jeans with holes in them and we thought we're going to come out of here swinging playing real country music (laughs) and i thought it was going to be fine and i thought i'll start in texas because they get it in texas well what i didn't know is between the time i went behind the curtain and came back out george Strait had popped and it was about starch jeans roper boots starch (laughs) white shirt and a cowboy hat and a fellow that stood in one place and stood still and sang his songs and knocked him across the bleachers and man, it was a bucket of cold water. Yeah, I went yeah. from being Johnny Cash's band to being useless. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, and the thing that I had in my heart was real country music. But even back yeah. then, we were, and then we turned it up and started playing rock and country music that sounds a whole lot what contemporary music sounds like. Country music sounds like today. But I had to find a uh, a getting on place, and that took a lot of time. Yeah. It took a lot of time, and it was frustrating, and it was discouraging because I knew we had the goods as a band, but it just wasn't we. The audience wasn't there yet, yeah. and uh, I remember playing in Texas one night, and this old guy came up. He was an old Texan, stood in front of this honky tonk stage we were playing, and he looked at me up and down in tight pants, and you know, pants poked in my boots and rhinestone <laughs> coat, and he looked at. He said, "Play me a Lefty Frizzell song." And I did. And then he said, play me a Floyd Tillman song. And I did. Yeah. And he, at the end of it, he shook my hand and said, I don't know what you are, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much the deal right there. And then Hillbilly Rock came along. Right. And that was the song that finally got us going. And it gave me the reason to get a bus and a band and some cowboy suits. And, right. uh, but I knew that it was not going to be easy because I knew that I had to make my own way, write my own chapter. Uh, it was like plowing through granite. And <laughs> to this day, that's what I do. Yeah. But uh, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is down the line now, I'm glad I went that route because at the end of it all, I followed my heart. I finally learned to follow my heart. And as you say, going back home is a scary thing. But going back home to the bottom of your heart and starting from there and following it, whatever the cost, you know, it will never take you to the wrong place. No, I love that. We're talking to Marty Stewart, and you're exactly right. That says it all right there. It won't take you to the wrong It's impossible. Marty, talk about your relationship with Travis Tritt. I mean, I know you guys seem to really, I remember you guys going out and touring a lot together and just seemed to be a cool bond. 
I wrote this song with my buddy uh, Ronnie Scaife, and it was called. The, hey, Ronnie had a title that said "The Whiskey Won't Work Anymore," and I said, "Well, let's change it." I said, "How about the whiskey ain't working anymore?" He said, "Hey, that's even better." <laughs> so we knocked this song out, and I was working on a record called "Tempted" at the time. Right. I finished it. And that, I thought, boy, that'd be a good song to put on that record, but it's already mixed, mastered, and has a release date. But I knew the song had something in it. So I sent it to Hank Jr., and Bo Cephas didn't care anything about it. He didn't hear it. So I was on my way home from Mississippi back to Nashville. I was going through a Burger King drive through in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> or Birmingham, and I heard this voice coming out of the radio speaker and it, uh, this I'd never heard this voice before and it was singing a song called uh, I'm a member of the country club and I'm like boy I don't know who that is but he's a singer and that would be a good place for that whiskey song right so I had it sent to Travis found out it was his name was Travis Tripp <laughs> and his producer asked me to come play get the, Travis cut the song and he asked me to come play guitar on it and I said absolutely so I went over there and played guitar and Travis was not there I'd not met him never spoke to him <laughs> And on the way out of the studio, Greg Brown said, why don't you sing the second verse? I said, no, nah, I don't need it. He took care of it. He said, just sing it. We don't need it. We we'll, won't use it. So I set my guitar down, <laughs> went and sang the second verse, walked off and forgot it. <laughs> and about six months later, I was in a hotel room in Oklahoma, and the phone rang. It was Travis Tritt. He said, hi. He said, we got a hit. I said, a hit what? He said, that whiskey song. <laughs> And I went, come on. And uh, we met, as far as I remember, at an award show and shook hands. And the next time we met was on stage. I saw where he was playing a theater, and I just simply crashed his show. And he put me on, and the place went ballistic, and we didn't know why. Hmm. But it was one of those things, again, it was just kind of meant to be. And the minute I met him and started hanging out with him, it'd be like hanging out with you because... He was raised in Georgia. We liked the same people, ragged on the same people, starting with ourselves, and mm. uh, we felt like brothers. And at the end of that Whiskey Ain't Working video, we were in the back lounge of my bus, and we shook hands and hugged each other's neck. I said, when we're fat, old, ugly, and bald, and nobody cares about us anymore, I'm still going to be your brother. <laughs> and we signed that deal, and we still live by that. Wow. I love it. You know, the funny thing is, I think, I've got two Freddies as orthopedic surgeons. My brother's the chief of staff in Memphis, and he trained my brother-in-law, who's in Atlanta, and I'm 99% sure that the, uh, Travis, we were doing a show together somewhere in New Hampshire, a couple of them, and Travis said, hey, your brother just got through either work. I think he worked on his wife. And uh, anyway, so a small world, you know, <laughs> I'm going, what, what happened? You know, anyway, I love it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that you, you mentioned a minute ago about uh, on your show that I like, it, Mississippi people. You know, just hold it right there. The thing I love about Mississippi people, when you say, I'm from Mississippi, and you meet anybody on planet Earth, Mississippi people just go to talking, and they go to visiting, and usually before the conversation's over, you you find somebody in common that you know, or you find yeah. you're almost kin, or you find a reason to keep talking, you know, for years to come. I love Mississippi people because you can set them out on planet Earth anywhere, <laughs> and they know how to do. You're not you are not lying. <laughs> hey, listen, this radio show would have ended January. Well, I think my first one was January fourth. It would have been uh -huh. over January. I'd have gotten super talk. Would have called me other guys and Kim over there would have said, "Look, it's January 11th. You did good. Now leave." You know, but. 
but I think you and I both have that gift of uh, I love I love people. I love getting to know them. I it, do too. I man. mean, you get you get to you get. We've been blessed to have met people all over the world and develop relationships. And you know, they used to talk about keeping five. You know, if you got five, you know, on one hand, if you got friends, and when you're dead and gone, man, I I feel like I've got a suitcase full of friends. Absolutely. And it's been because of I think because of where we grew up. And and I, you're right about that. Chancellor Kayat has a line that uh, is worth quoting. It's worth saying. He says, you know, Mississippi, we are so often at the top of the wrong list and at the bottom of the right one. <laughs> and what that's so true, because the, to the outside world, they really, really don't quite understand sometimes. And what I love about Mississippi more than anything else beyond the geography and just the natural feel of the land is the quality of the people and the hearts of the people that raised me and continue to be my friends and that thing in Mississippi that no place on earth has except us. I totally agree. That's a good way to get into a break with the great Marty Stewart. Marty, you get to play DJ, by the way, because uh, okay. that's what I get to do. Since you mentioned, and I mention all the time, but you beat me to it, we are the birthplace of American music. Now, I'm probably going to make it not, a, it's not going to be fair, but you get to play DJ and you get to pick between Charlie Pride or Uh-oh. Jimmy Rogers. I uh, see, I did it. That ain't nice. <laughs> that ain't nice at all. <laughs> so tell me who you who, take oh, us you to want the me break. to do it now? You got to take us to the break. Well, I tell you what. There was a guy in Forest, Mississippi, when I was growing up, named Marty Collins, and Marty Collins was an absolutely train riding country music fanatic. He <laughs> loved country music, and the first time I ever heard him play Mr. Pride. It, I was standing in the living room at my mom and dad's house. We had one of those big old console stereos. Yeah. And he says, friends, here's one from country. Charlie Pride, one of our Mississippi boys. And he played, all I have to offer you is me. Oh, man. And I'd never heard Charlie Pride before. And I stood there for the whole record and had goosebumps over me. And when the song was over, Marty Collins came on the air and he was he was sniffling. He said, boy, I haven't got old Marty. He said, I might ought to have to play it one more time. And he played it two times in a row. <laughs> And it's a great Dallas Frazier song, and it's as great as country music ever was, is, or will be. And it's called All I Have to Offer You with Me with Mr. Charlie Pride. With regards and regrets to the father of country music, Mr. Rogers. Uh, you, you know what? You threw me a little curveball just then, and I missed it. So I, I struck out, but I love it. We're with the great Marty Stewart, plays with Charlie Pride. Of you to see all I have to offer you is In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, when the sun goes down at the end of the day. I'm Steve Azar. We are with Marty Stewart, country music legend. And that is it. And he's still breathing. He gets to still talk about it and still gets to add to his legacy every morning he wakes up and every night he goes to bed. Uh, let's talk about... How you and Connie met. I mean, I, I want to know, uh, you know, was it an Opry thing? Was it, I mean, where did it all go down? Choctaw Indian Fair, Philadelphia, Mississippi. There you go. He came to play down there uh, in summer of 1970. And I've always told the story that I was 12 years old, but Ken Burns has just completed one of those eight-episode, 16-and-a-half-hour jobs. <laughs> 
on country music. And I went up to, I was, I was a big part of that with him, and I went up to watch it. And when they showed the picture that my mother took of me and Connie and my sister Jennifer that was she made after the show, they said he was 11 years old. And I corrected them. I said, no, I was 12. And they said, uh, do the math. You were 11. So <laughs> Connie came to town when I was 11 years old. And uh, we went and saw her because she was Mama's favorite singer. And we had her record called Miss Smith Goes to Nashville. It's the house. And I thought she was so pretty. And on the way home from that show that night, I told my mother I was going to marry Connie Smith. And I guess I meant it because 25 <laughs> years later, I did. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That'll teach her to come to Neshoba County, right? <laughs> you know, what the funny thing is, you know, I played in the Neshoba County Fair three well, sure times as a kid. I was a kid. I was a teenager, and we were always on the rock stage. At the very end, the last act on the rock and roll, the whatever stage. And I also grew up playing in Vaden. You know, so that was another thing, which wasn't far from you. And there was the Country Music Palace in Vegas, Vaden, and then there was, uh, gosh, it was the rock club. I always played on the other side, you know. And uh -huh. so I, I, was in my, I was in my discovering style. I was trying to find myself, and, and trust You're me. Blue period oh my god no i just it was so bad i mean you know we were packing places but yeah. i had no and i was writing my own songs but i gotta tell you what they say the first hundred songs you should throw away and move on uh. <laughs> we, we made a crazy living out of it but uh and people always ask they go man i wish you'd go back to the 80s azar i said listen that was the time that we never need to revisit you need to own it and 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 if we ever came back and did it again, you'd go. That wasn't so good, <laughs> you know. So I agree. Yeah, it's one of those I, things. I mean, I agree with your thing because the, the, all that stuff that people, you know, the, the stuff in the '90s that I did, I can't listen to that stuff. It, I listen. I like Tempted, but other than that, it's like eh. But from the Pilgrim forward, about 1999 forward, I can listen to everything I've done. But I get you, man. I know what you're nah, saying. I know. Well, from waiting on Joe for me on. I mean, that's when I learned how I felt like to I could write a song, and I didn't even know yeah. it was a song. So that was my moment when I said, "Okay, I got. I can't be anything less than this, or I, I, then I don't want to do it." So mm -hmm. that's always been the challenge. We're talking to the great Marty Stewart. Uh, Marty, talk to me about. You're 13 years old. How much time had you put in? to playing music before and and when you get your opportunity how did it all come how did it all come down with lester well i started my first band around town when i was nine and uh it was kind of interesting because um there was a picture in the show of a democrat of me and my buddies butch and ricky and our set list was like Folsom prison blues and mama tried and wildwood flower and tiger by the tail and they put our picture playing at the Rotary Club in the, in the Democrat, and I think the caption was something like, local boy says, hard to make a living playing country music in Beatles society. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, that's our That's where my heart was back then. <laughs> I felt like I needed to fly the flag for those guys. <laughs> but then I went, I got a job. Uh, I did not a job. I got a weekend uh, pass to play in like some gospel bands around, you know, home with some folks, and when I was 12, I went on the road with the Sullivan Family Gospel Singers. They were big Pentecostal bluegrass stars from Alabama, and they had a TV show out of Jackson. So I spent, me and Carl Jackson was in that band that summer of 1972, and I fell in love with the road and applause and girls and signing autographs and, you know, could stay up late and hang out with cool people like you and talk all the time, music, 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 music. And when it was time to go home, I was a pitiful excuse for a student. <laughs> so I basically got kicked out of school a few days into the ninth grade because I was reading a country music song roundup in a history book. Yeah. 
And uh, one of the people I'd met on the circuit that summer was Roland White. And Roland played in Lester Flatt's band. Right. And uh, he gave me his phone number. said, call me sometimes. You know, maybe Lester will let you go out on the road with us. So I went home from school, called Roland, and he asked Lester. And Lester said, yeah, he can come with us. And so I started begging and pleading for my mom and dad to let me go for Labor Day weekend, just for the weekend. And uh, they let it happen. And so I got to Nashville on Labor Day weekend. And over the weekend, Lester heard me play, and he put me on stage, and uh, it worked. And he saw somebody in, you know, that was youth and energy in his band. And it was like sticking a 13-year-old kid in the middle of the Navy platoon or something. But um, I knew I was where I wanted to be. And then he offered me a job, and then he and my mother and dad met, and they worked out all the arrangements, and it worked out. That's just crazy. Well, I hear kids today that, you know, could bury me and place 10,000 times better than I did. It's amazing the ability that young musicians have this. But that was pretty, you know, I, I, I could get by. I could get by. Fine. And uh, But Lester Flatt's endorsement, well, I've said it many times, walking into the Ryman Auditorium toting his guitar case was the equivalent of walking into the Vatican with the Pope <laughs> because it was instant endorsement into the family and the aristocracy of country music. Right. And I knew it. At that point, I had to live up to it, and uh, I took it seriously, and I, I longed for it. I longed to be there. Wow. And I, I understood the weight of the job, but, um, man, it was a, an incredible way to start. It was like hanging out at the feet of the masters. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. I get it. I get it. I, 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 interesting you used the word Pope again. Are you thinking about Pope Stephen Thomas Azar? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked out, don't you think? It Steve? was the girl. It was the one... <laughs> And then the second, and the th you know, it just didn't work out. Hey, we're talking to the great Marty Stewart. I love it. Marty. All right, talk to me about. I, I got to know first of all, Doc Watson. You spent some time playing with Doc. Uh, how long did that? How long were you? Well, with him? when Lester passed away, uh, I looked around the world of bluegrass, and everybody's band was full, so I didn't have anywhere to go. And I ran into Vassar Clements and played 15 minutes with him because he was just doing me a favor. And we ran into Doc and Merle on the touring circuit. And Merle said, what are you doing for the rest of the summer? And I said, absolutely nothing. He said, come on, run out, run with us. And I played the summer with them, and it was like playing 10 years' worth of music in six months because, man, they were so impeccable. And the integrity was off the chart. They're uh, just, just wonderful, wonderful Carolina people. And on the last day of the, the stint with Doc and Merle, I went back to the hotel, and there was, the red light was blinking on the phone back then. And it was my mom said, Bob Wooten, Johnny Cash's guitar player, is looking for you. And so I called Bob, and I'd met John just a couple of weeks before. And he said, John wants to know if you want to uh, maybe go out and work with us. I said, now's a good time to talk. I said, when do you want me to start? He said, how about tomorrow? I said, where are you? He said, we're in Cedar Rapids, Iowa tomorrow. And I, and I was in, uh, I'm sorry, Des Moines, Iowa tomorrow. And I was in Cedar Rapids. So I was like two hours away from him, so I got Good routing. the car, and it was kind of, again, divinely routed. <laughs> right, right. Divinely routed. Okay, so you got to prepare for a show, and you're jumping out. Now that it's time for Johnny Cash, how much, I mean, how much homework did you have to do? I know, I know you, you, you probably, probably obviously knew, knew the songs, but you didn't know the songs and didn't know the guy. You hadn't played with them yet, right? Well, here's the deal. Here's what's interesting. So my wife, the girl that I love, came to the Choctaw Fair, and the first two records that I had was Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs and Johnny Cash, and those were my guys. 
beyond the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and any other country act. It was Flatten Scruggs and Johnny Cash. I love those guys. Right. So I was pretty up to speed on everything they had ever recorded by the time I was 15 or 16 years old. And I kept up with John. And uh, before I, I mean, I got to the hotel and his guitar player, Bob, he came in the lobby, says, we're going to do a matinee. We'll be, the bus will be leaving at 2 o'clock or whatever it is, or 1 o'clock, whatever. And I went and sat down in the coffee shop, and the maitre d' came over and said, Mr. Cash is on the phone. I went, yeah. <laughs> so I went and I got on the phone. He said, hello, son. I said, hi. He said, uh, you got anything black to wear? I went, probably. He said, you know my songs? I said, every one of them, you still do them in the same key? He said, probably. And he <laughs> says, well, I'm going to probably take a nap and probably see you after a while. Bam. And that was how, <laughs> that was how I got the job right there. They took me out to the to the stage, stood me on the spot, and I brought my guitar, and uh, and away we went. And that was it. Unbel- I love it. That's incredible. Incredible. Well, just the time spent with him. What was it like to be around Johnny Cash? Well, he was my original country music hero. He was my mentor. He was my old chief. Yeah. And Connie and I actually wound up living next door to John and June up in Hendersonville, you know, for several years before he passed away. He was my next door neighbor. And I don't care what what I was doing or how hot I was or what the chart said or what the chart didn't say, when he called, and need me to play guitar. I went and became his guitar player again. He was my he was my chief. Yeah. And um, so you know there were so many life lessons learned. And he was such a invaluable compadre when it came time to ask for advice when things would come my way. It, whether it was a life matter or a career matter, showbiz matter, and I could pick up the phone and call him and count on a solid answer. Could would have been there, done that attitude right. and, and wisdom. So, uh, you know, I miss him every day because he was he was stout. Yeah, I mean, we became a family family member. He was one of your guys, you know, you go oh, to. Oh, that's right. He right. was my father-in-law for yeah. 15 minutes, too. I forgot about that. Well, he, I, think he was, <laughs> I think he was always your father at that point, right? It felt like, yep. it felt like he was. We're talking to the great Marty Stewart. You're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Marty Stewart, country music legend. I remember when I was going uh, to Bakersfield, and I always loved, I always loved Buck Owens. I just loved him. Did you? What, what was your uh, time spent with Buck? Well, the first song I ever learned in my life to play on my electric guitar was Tiger by the Tail. And um, when I was getting started back in those days, you were talking about when I couldn't quite find my getting on place and I was struggling to, you know, to figure out my spot. Uh, We played Bakersfield and he showed up unannounced. And he said, I want to play with you tonight. And you play with me. So he got on stage, and we just started flipping songs. He was my guitar player, and I was his guitar player. But the bottom line was he was there to tell me to hang in there. It's about the record. It's about timing. 
It's about right. patience. It's about being a smart businessman and about working hard. He just gave me all. He just, you know, came yep. in to shore me up a little bit. And Buck was Buck was that way. He his work ethic was off the chart, and so. It was wonderful to have that kind of guidance and that kind of friendship. Right, and I love how he's dedicated to his guys, you know? Oh, yeah. Real quick before we go, and I know you got to get to sound check. Tell me, uh, give me some pieces of memorabilia that stand out uh, with the music. We're going to circle back to the museum. Uh, just let our listeners know some of what you got. Connie Smith. <laughs> well, yeah, we know that. but we... <laughs> That's the ultimate treasure. Yeah, um, you're right about that. Let me think about this here for a second. All right, what do you have of uh, Johnny's? Johnny Cash's first black performance suit. You can't have the first suit. Uh, the handwritten words to Folsom Prison Blues, San Quentin, Man in Black. It's a, a lot of Johnny Cash stuff. The boots Patsy Klein was wearing when she lost her life. Hank Williams' handwritten lyrics to I Saw the Light and mm. uh, Cold Cold Heart and his guitar, his costume, his costumes, his birth certificate, his death certificates, personal effects. Uh, Lefty Frizzell's boots, George Jones' guitar, Merle Haggard's guitar, Merle Haggard's lyrics. Um, so there you go. I don't even know, man. I tell you what, that's pretty. You're either very persuasive, or you're uh, you're like you're like a great thief. I love that. I got. I love knowing this about you. I could see you sneaking in and going. I didn't take it. I, didn't I don't it. have anything of Steve Azar's, which we desperately need. <laughs> you don't need it. But, yes, but, I do, to but bring I, us into the 21st century. Yeah, you need to go into the 21st century. I'll be glad to give you whatever's in my studio right now, except for this, this, and no. I got a lot of stuff that, that I'd, oh, I'd, I'd be honored, man. I'd be honored. Well, hey. Here's, here's the thing that I want, you know, I know we're running out of time. But no, we're good. the thing that I want to say. Say it. There's some, I bet you there's some young and listening who don't know how this is all going to come together for them in, in, in their dream, whether it's playing football or baseball or basketball or music or being the greatest fisherman in the state or whatever. But what blows my mind is back to what I said. Connie Smith came to my hometown. I didn't go looking for her. She came to my hometown, and I said, I'm going to marry her. The first two <laughs> records were the ones that you know I wound up. That's the only two jobs I ever had with Lester and John. And the other heroes I had was Merle. And Merle became one of my dearest friends, and, you know, he left word that I was to be the preacher at his funeral. And hmm. I walked John to the graveyard, and it's just been, Bill Monroe gave me his mandolin pick when I was 12 years old, and that old man became a big part of my life. Yeah. So the thing about it is, is when these things are happening to you when you're young, the things that touch your heart the deepest, pay attention. Pay attention. Because you never know what God has in mind for you 20 years down the line concerning those things or those people. Right. And dreams do come true. So dream as big as you possibly can down there. I love it, man. Marty, that's well said. And all you got to do is dream and work really, really hard at it. Really and then, hard. And you're right. You know, God's got his own timetable. And we just that's sort right. of, we just got to be patient. And, and that's a virtue that's a tough one to sometimes to have. And uh, I've struggled with patience and and uh, and uh, and I know we both have, but hey, Marty, I can't thank you enough, man. I, I just I live I, I just I've been waiting to to chat with you, and uh, I'm just so proud of you, and I, I'm I'm proud to know that your Mississippi is uh, is going to have more of you, and uh, it's going to be important, man. I, and I love where you're. I love you moving back home and moving all your stuff, and uh, it's going to be a blessing to have you, partner. I love it. Well, I love what you're doing, and I'm proud of you. And we're in the same. We're in the same 
mission together. So just know that you have a buddy and a neighbor, and you know whatever you need out of us in Neshoba County, we're there. And I'm glad to know your airwaves are hot too. So we're in. All right, brother. Be well. I'll talk to you. God soon. bless you, Steve Azar. Thank you. We've been with the great Marty Stewart. And a Mississippi Minute is no longer later on. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.